0: Hundreds of Chicago-area GM and Stellantis parts workers join the UAW strike. And I'll talk with Steve Daniels about how Illinois policyholders are seeing property insurance rate hikes rivaling those in more disaster-prone states.
1: Yeah, and, you know, Illinois is a canary in a coal mine. This is a national crisis in the making, Uh, a a property insurance crisis, a slow-moving crisis The insurance industry, unlike the banking industry, is regulated state by state, not by the federal government. The federal government has next to no authority over insurance companies.
0: I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Monday, September 25th. Want some wins? WinTrust Community Banks is proud to be ranked number one in customer satisfaction in personal banking in Illinois by J.D. Power. That's one win, and that's for the second year in a row. That's a win-win. And you can now earn even more interest with WinTrust new savings rates. That's a win-win-win. To get your savings some wins, visit wintrust.com slash lock new rates. That's wintrust.com slash lock new rates. Members FDIC for J.D. Power 2020. Twenty-three award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Illinois residents are seeing property insurance rate hikes rivaling those in some disaster-prone states. Here to talk about why that is, Cranes reporter Steve Daniels. Welcome back, Steve. Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. So talk to me about this. When we're looking at states that are seeing some pretty significant uh, boosts in their rate, levels. seems like some of them make a lot of sense because they're really disaster prone places uh, where we're seeing wildfires and, and we see hurricanes and things like that. But what is it about Illinois? What's going on there?
1: Well, we should back up first. The insurance industry is in, is in a bad place. It's in a bad place, both with auto insurance and with property insurance. We we're talking about property insurance here. And the reason they're in a bad place in property insurance is because of almost exclusively, not entirely climate change. Storms are worse, they're more frequent, they happen in places they didn't used to, where they used to, they're more severe. You couple that with the rising costs of parts, supplies, rebuilding homes, labor, the, the, the inflationary supply chain issues, the inflationary factors that uh, industry and individuals have been dealing with now for a couple of years. and we're on the verge of basically a property insurance crisis in this country, where most of that has been focused and centered has been in places like California, where there's a very, very strong insurance regulator. He's a, an elected official unlike like a lot of states where that is not an elected office. It's appointed by the governor. This is one of those. As a result, in California, the department's been very loath to approve rate hikes. And finally, the biggest insurers in that state got fed up and just said, okay, we're done. We're not writing any more policies. We'll continue to insure uh, longtime customers and existing customers, but no new ones. So that state is now confronting whether they've gone too far in the consumer direction and need to adjust just so that people have insurance available for their homes, obviously wildfires and everything else being the issue that it is there. Florida, likewise, property insurance is a crisis there now. It's 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 unaffordable to the point where many homeowners, you know, who, have, who own their homes free and clear because most mortgage companies require you to have property insurance, are going without. In places uh, that are you know right in harm's way of storms, I mean, on the very coastlines of Florida, you've got to buy three policies if you want to be fully protected. You have to buy a regular homeowner's policy. You have to buy a storm policy because the regular ones don't cover wind from hurricanes. And you have to buy a flood insurance policy from the federal government. It's uh, insanely expensive to be fully protected there. Now, let's bring this to Illinois. In the past 18 months, all over the country, homeowners rates have soared, like as have auto insurance rates. They've soared more in some places than in others. The Wall Street Journal actually had s p do this analysis for them. So this is where this comes from. But Illinois is one of six states, over all of the insurance companies, where uh, rates have gone up between 20 and 30%. The other five states are Texas, Utah, Arizona, North Carolina, and Oregon. Mm-hmm. All of those are prone to either hurricanes, wildfires, or both. Illinois is... Prone to neither. So, what's the deal with Illinois? Well, to hear the department talk about, it, well, we've got we've got a lot of hailstorms here. Yep, we do. We we've got uh, wind events that certainly aren't hurricanes. Well, yes, we do. We have tornadoes, and then we have you know kind of intense thunderstorms, durations and, and the like those tornadoes tend to take place in very lightly populated areas. Yeah. So while they're horrific where they happen, they are not necessarily incredibly costly for insurance companies. The derechos, on the other hand, yeah, those are going to be, those are going to be costly events, but to argue that they're the same kind of risk as hurricanes and wildfires and the like, it, it strains credulity a little bit. The other issue too, of course, is that, Hey, what about these other, what about Michigan? What about, Iowa. What about Indiana? What about Wisconsin? Aren't these all subject to the same types of things? And the answer, of course, is yes. But the big thing, and what I what I raised in the story, and I think a question that should be answered by the department, the governor's office, or both, is whether Illinois is a very, very lenient regulatory system as it pertains to insurance companies in this climate where these insurance companies are desperately raising premiums just to stay in the black Mm -hmm. auto insurance they're not in the black in homeowners insurance many of them are but they're starting to trend toward becoming unprofitable does that tempt them to raise rates more here where they can do it with no real oversight by the department all you got to do is file and tell them you're doing it and it goes forward and there's Almost nothing the department can do to say, "Uh, no, this isn't justified or what have you. Most other states in the country have at least some regulatory oversight, whether before the fact, as in California, you have to get prior approval to do it, or after the fact, which is more common, where insurance companies say, okay, we're raising rates this much. They go into effect, then the department can challenge it. it. And then increasingly in recent years, that's happened. Uh, places like Texas, Connecticut. Illinois just got nothing, and, and the department has, over the years, consistently, and in this story, continues to say, hey, well, we believe in an open market, that people have choices, competition will restrain rates and the like. And I think for many, many years, the state and the department could justify that approach based on the prices that we were paying here versus – other parts of the country. And the question now is whether that's still the case or whether it will be the case after this period of very difficult market conditions concludes, if it concludes, because climate change is not going to get any better anytime soon.
0: Yeah, that's right. And so is there any movement to try to restructure that um, regulatory oversight process in Illinois?
1: There's been some, but not in the property insurance realm. Now there was a bill passed in the health insurance of all places, and this is not something, an area I cover. That the governor signed that gives the department a rate approval authority. It was fought hard by the health insurers, and they lost. And that's that's a rare thing in this state. Insurance lobbies typically win in Springfield when they care to really put their resources into a lobbying campaign. We have had some. Bills proposed on the auto insurance side, which is there's also major issues with rate hikes. I think we've talked about it on the just before on car insurance bills to give the department approval authority or bills just to require the department to every year collect from the insurers information. Are you really losing money? In Illinois, let's see your, let's see it. Let's see the losses. Let's see what you collected in premiums. The insurance lobby has fought both and has won to this point on that score. None of that has surfaced with property insurance. And this is a kind of a new thing. And, you know, the department says we've got 200 plus property insurers in the state. That's plenty to choose from. Surely you can find a decent rate if you try. But, you know, as I reported in that story, looks can be deceiving. I, I, the market share of the top five insurers in Illinois is two thirds of the market. Yeah. That's a bigger concentration of market share than in Michigan, Indiana, Wisconsin among the top five. The one thing that kind of keeps things maybe somewhat more under control here is the overwhelming presence of State Farm. State Farm's based here. They're the largest personal lines insurer in the country. They're also by far the largest insurer of both cars and homes in the state of Illinois. I think probably Illinois is their leading market share state in all of the U.S. Thus far, at least on the property line side, they've raised rates, but not anything like the 20, 30% that all state has done. Who They're the number two. A property insurer. Farmers is 25%. They're the number four property insurer. State farmers has been more like eight, 9%. So that's probably helping keep things from getting a little bit more out of control than, than you might think, given the, the overarching numbers. But it's not like they're not feeling the same effects that these others are. They just don't have quite the same pressure. They don't have pressures from investors. They have a massive amount of capital. They can afford to take losses that others can't Yeah, for a while, but eventually it all catches up to them too.
0: Right. And so it seems, and you you allude to this in your reporting, that the concern here then is- Residents and and policy buyers have to just kind of take it in good faith that as companies you know might be tempted to hike a rate to deal with a budget deficit that that might happen in states like Illinois where there's less oversight.
1: Right, and you know I think what surprised me a little bit about the reaction I got from the Department of Insurance in this story was they really went back to the old talking points that they've thrown out there forever and ever. How hard is it to to say? huh, yeah, that seems weird that Illinois would be in the same category as those other states. Yeah, might make sense for us to look into it. And at the very least, try to figure out what's behind that. Sure. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, that seems like not a lot to ask. When we're talking about highly inflationary pressures on consumers, you have to buy auto insurance by law, if you have a car, if you own a home and you have a mortgage on it, you also, generally speaking, have to have homeowner's insurance because the bank makes you have property insurance in case your house is destroyed because they own it, not you, until you pay it off or at least co-own it, right? And as Tom Wilson, some uh, quarters ago in an all-state earnings call where um, he was asked about homeowner's insurance and rate hikes and the like, he made the point and i think it's right that a lot of times homeowners don't notice because the cost is embedded in what they pay their mortgage company the mortgage servicer collects the you know the insurance premiums on their behalf it pays their property taxes and so yeah their monthly payment goes up even if their uh, interest rate is locked in and it's like, oh boy it's gone up well i guess it's property taxes well you know <laughs> uh you can always blame property taxes right but there, there it is it's kind of a little stealth cost that is is tucked away and if you're not paying attention and most people aren't then they just sort of well oh, oh, shoot well oh, gosh so that that helps the insurance companies uh, whereas auto insurance you see it in your bill right yeah you know, you bill and i got crap But the homeowners generally, that's just stuck, tucked away in your, uh, in, in what you pay your mortgage, on your mortgage. So that helps the insurance companies do what they're doing. Eventually, rates go up enough and people wonder, okay, why is my, why are my costs so high? And they look into it. So I think in a lot of cases here, we're probably at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. It seems that way, especially if you're thinking about the overall household budget with auto insurance rates going up and things like that. With you're getting, you know, kind of getting hit from all directions, you're going to feel that squeeze. That's that's reasonable. That's what a budget does.
1: That's that's exactly right. And and then you've got property taxes. You've got uh, which are which are t- in Illinois tend to go up all the time. You've got you know, like I said, your car insurance. People talk about grocery costs and food costs. The whole thing. It just all it all adds up. And so I think that, you know, the regulators, whether, you know, they may not have a, a ton of tools in the law in Illinois to really go after insurance companies, but they have some. So it will remain to be seen whether uh, there's some pressure that's brought to bear there that gets them moving.
0: It is interesting, though, to kind of unpack this topic state by state and just, you know, to compare, you gave the early example of California to compare the process there versus the process in Illinois is fascinating just how it's how it's shaken out and and the consequences as a result of how it's structured.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Illinois is a canary in a coal mine. This is a national crisis in the making, Uh, a, a property insurance crisis, a slow moving crisis, but it's a crisis nonetheless that will culminate in the need for, probably at some point, government intervention, the insurance industry, unlike the banking industry, is regulated state by state, not by the federal government. The federal government has next to no authority over insurance companies. And as a result, that sort of patchwork approach to it, the insurance companies can take advantage of that in states that are easier for them to deal with versus those that are more difficult. But it makes solving a, a national crisis much harder, because how are you going to coalesce fifty states around some kind of an approach? Maybe you really need federal tax assistance, you know, like they did with flood insurance. I mean, federal taxpayers basically cover the flood costs in a, or at least a large portion of them in floodplains all over this country where we build and then rebuild and then rebuild again when these structures are knocked down time and again by storms. Climate change raises that prospect in places other than floodplains, in large swaths of the West, in now increasingly parts of the Midwest. You know, sort of a no place to hide aspect to this that that's slowly evolving that will come to a head at some point. And in a highly dysfunctional Washington, D.C., the, to, to try to think of that group of folks trying to solve a problem like this when it gets to the real crisis point is uh, kind of scary. It'll happen. It's just a matter of when. And, and, uh, and that's, that's the direction we But in the meantime, what, is, uh, what are our regulators doing here to make sure that we're not paying more than we should?
0: Yeah. Well, you raised some very good questions in your reporting. Thanks for coming by to unpack them today.
1: Sure. Thank you.
0: Coming up, Portillo's expansion plans just got even more aggressive. We'll talk about that and more right after this. The Greater Chicago Food Depository, Chicago's Food Bank, is on a mission to end hunger. But the need is still above pre-pandemic levels. One in five households in our community is experiencing food insecurity, and families with children are at greatest risk. September is Hunger Action Month, so help your neighbors by donating today. The Greater Chicago Food Depository, chicagosfoodbank.org. Foodbank.org. This is The Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Noting what was described as real progress at the bargaining table with Ford, UAW President Sean Fain on Friday morning announced the next wave of stand-up strikes against the big three automakers. And Ford facilities, including the massive Torrance Avenue facility on Chicago's south side, did not see further strike actions, but General Motors and Stellantis, however, came in for sharp criticism during Fain's Facebook live stream as he called on parts distribution facilities across the UAW's nationwide network, including at GM's Brook Center and at a Stellantis Depot in Naperville to join the strike immediately. We're doing
1: things differently this time around. Our stand up strike strategy is designed to do one thing, win record contracts after years of record profits. We're focused on moving the companies at the bargaining table. That means maintaining our flexibility and our leverage to escalate as we need to.
0: Fain noted that in talks so far, Ford has agreed to eliminate one wage tier, reinstate a cost of living adjustment that was suspended in 2009, and won the rights to strike over plant closures during the life of the agreement, among other concessions. He also touched on an agreement to create an enhanced profit-sharing formula, as well as the immediate conversion of all temporary workers to full-fledged employees.
1: All that represents serious movement on tiers, on cost of living, on pay, and on job security. But to be clear, we're not done at Ford. We still have serious issues to work through, but we do want to recognize that Ford is showing that they're serious about reaching a deal.
0: Meanwhile, Feyn criticized executives at GM and Stellantis in his morning remarks, saying, quote, "...our stand-up strike strategy is designed to do one thing, win record contracts after years of record profits." He added, quote, "...we can and will go all out if our national leadership decides the companies aren't willing to move." Also saying, quote, "...right now we think we can get there. Stellantis and GM in particular are going to need some serious pushing." The locations joining the strike Friday package and ship parts that are used to repair customers' vehicles, so dealerships could see their service business impacted by the escalation. As previously reported by Crane's sister publication Automotive News, the UAW began its first ever simultaneous strike against the Detroit 3 on September 15th, one minute after its previous four year contracts with the automaker expired. The union ordered a total of about 13,000 workers at assembly plants, one at each company, spread across Michigan, Ohio, and Missouri, onto picket lines. It told members at other locations around the country to keep working, but to be ready to walk out if called upon to do so. The strike is currently impacting the company's output of about 3,200 vehicles a day, according to S&P Global Mobility, and the carmakers have said they're developing contingency plans. Ford presented its most recent offer to the UAW on September 12th before the strike. Prior to Fain's announcement on Friday, the union had said it had what it described as reasonably productive negotiations with the company over the prior weekend. Stellantis gave a revised proposal to the UAW on September 19th. The union is still worried about job security due to the potential closing of 18 Stellantis facilities, including 10 parts and distribution centers. The company says no jobs would be eliminated in the consolidation of parts centers, but the union has pushed back against the disruption such moves could cause. The carmaker has also floated turning an idled Jeep plant in Belvedere into an Amazon-like hub for parts distribution, according to a person familiar with the matter. At GM, the union has been pressing hard on cost-of-living adjustments, which protect workers from inflation, said another person familiar with the talks. The company reportedly sees it as part of a total pay package, whereas the union wants these adjustments on top of a pay raise. The UAW also wants more vacation time, which adds to the tension over temporary workers, the person said. Find more on this topic at Cranes at chicagobusiness.com and at Cranes' sister publication, Automotive News. For the first time in about 30 years, McDonald's is raising rates for some franchisees to operate in the U.S. and Canada. Owners who open new restaurants or buy locations previously run by McDonald's will have to pay 5% of sales, up from the current rate of 4%, according to a message signed by Chief Financial Officer Ian Borden that was reportedly reviewed by Bloomberg. This rate will also apply to restaurants the company buys and then sells to an operator. Franchisees will continue to pay 4% in many other cases, according to the document, and restaurants that change hands as a result of the transaction between franchisees won't be subject to the new rate, and operators that sign new 20-year agreements won't either. Transfers from current owners to next-generation family members are also unaffected. Royalties on franchised store sales are standard in the industry and vary between companies. Burger King charges 4.5 percent, Wendy's charges 4 to 6 percent, and Subway charges 8 percent, according to data compiled by researcher Technomic. And for most franchisees outside the U.S., McDonald's royalties are already at 5 percent. Franchisees operate about 95% of McDonald's' 13,400 U.S. restaurants. Beyond royalty fees, they also pay rent, annual technology fees, and other required payments. But this is just the latest in a string of changes McDonald's has made to its franchisee requirements. Cranes previously reported that last summer, McDonald's raised the bar for renewal of franchisee agreements and implemented a stricter performance review process for restaurant owners. It also changed criteria for franchisees to pass their businesses to spouses or children, saying it would evaluate all potential new franchisees the same way. Bloomberg reported that Chicago-based United Airlines discovered dubious parts in two aircraft engines, adding to the list of carriers worldwide that have found bogus components from supplier AOG Technics Limited. The parts were discovered in a single engine on each of two aircraft, including one that was already undergoing routine maintenance, according to a spokesperson for United on Monday, who also said that the airline is replacing the engines before the planes are returned to flight. United said they discovered the parts based on new information from its suppliers and that it will continue to investigate as more details become available. The parts were seals that helped direct airflow inside the engine. The company's disclosure makes it the latest major carrier to confirm that suspect components from AOG were installed in their fleet, in addition to Southwest Airlines and Virgin Australia Airlines. Aviation regulators have said AOG supplied an unknown number of jet engines' spare parts backed by falsified airworthiness documentation, kicking off a worldwide effort by the industry to hunt down more components. Crane's Ali Marati reported that Portillo's is boosting its growth goals by more than half – aiming to open at least 920 restaurants around the country in about 20 years. It's the first time the Oak Brook-based hot dog and Italian beef chain has updated its growth goals since going public in 2021, when it was targeting 600 restaurants in 25 years. Portillo's also increased its annual growth target to 12 to 15 percent annually, up from 10 percent. Of those 920 locations, Portillo's projects that 800 of them will be full-scale restaurants and 120 of them will be pickup, walk-up, or some other format. The company announced the updated goals during a recent investors' meeting. But as Maradi noted in reporting, Portillo's share price was down one percent on the news. Executives told investors that the company will only open full-service restaurants that can do ten to twelve million dollars in annual sales. Drive-through restaurants, which are meant to facilitate online orders and delivery drivers, are targeted to do six to eight million in annual revenue. Maradi also reported that Portillo's has seventy-seven restaurants in ten states. For the past couple of years, it's been expanding in the Chicago area. Florida and Texas. The company has said it will look to open in Nevada, Georgia, and Colorado in the near term, and it will also retrofit about 40 restaurants this year and next, modernizing them with grab-and-go stands, self-service beverage options, and other tweaks. Maradi also noted in reporting that the company is also designing its restaurants differently, with a smaller footprint and shorter production line. Moves that aim to get customers through the line faster in order to ultimately result in more sales. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Steve Daniels. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time. The business world is ever-changing, and the need for innovative leadership is more critical than ever. That's why Cranes has partnered with the University of Chicago Booth School of Business to provide an educational program about leading in uncertain times. In five half-day sessions, you will strengthen your skills to motivate, innovate, and communicate with clarity and become a more productive leader for today's workforce. Apply by September 29th. Visit CranesAcademy.com for more information and to apply.